Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, focused on applying Mazda's customer-centric approach for vehicle design to car buying and servicing in order to create an experience centered around the customer. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com. This is Charlotte Talks. I'm Mike Collins. As presidential primary season rolls on, all eyes have turned to South Carolina. Everyone is thinking about the Republican primary at the end of the month that could be the final stand for the state's former governor, Nikki Haley, though she says she's in it through at least Super Tuesday in her quest to beat Donald Trump for the Republican nomination. But Democrats are holding their primary in the state this weekend. At President Biden's urging, his party made South Carolina's the first contest in the nation, partly as a way of saying thanks for helping to helping him to the nomination in 2020, but also because the state is more representative, he thinks, of Democratic voters. Still, the Palmetto State is increasingly red, and both the Republican and Democratic contests are pretty much foregone conclusions for all practical purposes. So what will voter turnout be like and how are the decisions South Carolina voters make going to influence the primaries that follow and the overall outcome of the race? To explore that, Dr. Scott Huffman is here. He is professor of political science and director of the Center for Public Opinion and Policy Research at Winthrop University. We're also joined by Dr. Bob Oldendick, Professor of Political Science at the University of South Carolina, and Joseph Bustos, who covers government and politics for the state newspaper in Columbia. Good morning, gentlemen. Welcome to you all. Thank you for being here. Good morning. Good to be here. So, Scott, uh, we're going to spend a lot of this program, obviously, talking about the Republican primary, but the Democratic primary is first. So let's start there. And this, this is a first, because, as I said, the Democrats moved their first in the nation. They moved away from the first in the nation primary in New Hampshire and put it in South Carolina for all the reasons that I, I mentioned. But the president is an incumbent. He pretty much is the only figure or the only person on the ballot of any consequence. Will it have any impact at all? What, uh, short answer? No, not really. Um, the longer answer is a little more complex. Uh, New Hampshire has a law on its books that literally says it has to be the first primary in the nation by at least a week. So Biden didn't file to be on the New Hampshire primary, which was earlier. However, he won it via write-in. Uh, and he's expected to win this one. And I think, as you alluded to, this is really kind of payback because without South Carolina, there would be no president, uh, Joe Biden. Joe Biden limped his way into uh, South Carolina in 2020. He was not a sure thing. If he didn't come out of 2020 with uh, uh, you know, some momentum, he was in trouble. And it was Jim Clyburn and his endorsement yeah that really made uh, 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 Joe Biden into the, the train that then took over the primary. Dr. Oldencrook, this is interesting because, as Scott just said, uh, New Hampshire held its Democratic Party uh, primary despite the party saying, no, South Carolina goes first. And as I understand it, as a result of that, no delegates are attached to the winner of that primary in New Hampshire. And something similar is going on in Nevada, where they are both caucusing and having a primary. And in the a Nevada caucus, the only candidate you can caucus for is Donald Trump. It has all the delegates, and the primary has all the other candidates except for Trump 
but no delegates attached. Has this ever happened before? Uh, not that I can remember. This is a very much of a change in terms of the way primaries are held. And you can see the competition among the states to go first. I mean, New, as Scott mentioned, New Hampshire has that law where they have to be the first primary. But you look at the, the evolution of the way primaries and the allocation of delegates has taken place over time. And we can see that the, the politics goes into it. I mean, South Carolina has been rewarded because they helped Joe Biden. But that didn't come out of the blue because we looked at the primary calendar and looked at, at Iowa and New Hampshire as the first two states, and they're overwhelmingly white. They don't look like the, you know, like the Democratic electorate. And so there was some movement before um, you know, Joe Biden's kind of reward for the 20, what happened in 2020. So we're, we're seeing kind of a, a change in terms of the, the nomination process. And I think that this will continue to evolve over time. I mean, on the Republic, in Iowa, the Democrats gave up pretty easily in terms of they wanted to be first in terms of the caucus because they have screwed up the last couple so badly. <laughs> On the other hand, Republicans still had their, their caucus. So we're, we're seeing some, some change in the way the two parties uh, select their delegates to the convention. Joseph, uh, one of the reasons the Democrat uh, chose South Carolina as going first, as uh, Dr. Olden Dick said, was because they, they feel that South Carolina is more representative of the, of the makeup of the Democratic voter in general. Uh, is that true uh, nationwide? Because it seems to me a lot of, the, of this red state voters who are going to vote Republican are, are white. If you look at the, uh, the makeup of the Democratic electorate, you, it, it's more than 60% black in South Carolina. So that's what's representative of this particular Democratic primary. It represents Democratic voters. And Nevada is second in line for, for Democrats. There's a lot of Hispanic voters in Nevada. So there's more minorities that are being represented earlier in the process. And I also want to point out that Democrats, ever since 1992, the nominating contest in South Carolina, has always picked the eventual nominee, with the exception of 2004, when John Edwards won the primary. Hmm. But then John Edwards ended up on the ticket with John Kerry. So the party also has a good track record in South Carolina of picking the eventual nominee. Scott, you wanted to chime in. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and I know we'll talk about why South Carolina is so important to Republicans. But I wanted to add to what uh, Dr. Oldendick and what uh, Joe said. The uh, When you come to South Carolina, as Dr. Oldendick said, Iowa, lily white, New Hampshire, lily white and unique. South Carolina is the first test of African-American support and African-American enthusiasm. And African-American support and enthusiasm are absolutely needed as part of a Democratic coalition to win the presidency. Without those two things, a Democrat is not going to be able to crack two states in the South. And if the Republicans sweep the South, uh, it, then when it comes to electoral college vote time, they need less than 30% of all electoral college votes in the country to win. So being the first test of African-American support and enthusiasm means us being first in the South is critical to Democrats. So given what you just said, am I hearing you say that even though this is a reward to the state of South Carolina and, the, and their Democratic voters for having put Joe Biden on uh, over the top last time, that next time, four years from now, 
they are also likely to go first? Uh, definitely first in the South, I would assume. We better be first in the South. Just And, of course, you know, uh, Bob and I are both – oh, actually, all three of us are South Carolinians. <laughs> but, yeah, we darn well better be first in the South. But we, as, as Joe pointed out, uh, we're over 60% African-American in the Democratic presidential primary vote. And majority of that are African-American women. And I say this repeatedly, African-American women are the crown jewel of the Democratic presidential uh, primary vote. And so showing up down here and showing you as a Democratic presidential candidate, you can enthuse that group and turn out that group is hypercritical. So I think we're going to kind of keep our place, if not necessarily literally first, because of New Hampshire, certainly, I hope, first in the South. Joseph, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think early voting in the Democratic Party has been going on for a week. Is that correct in South yeah, Carolina? Uh, I, I, it, South Carolina has about two weeks of early Okay. Tomorrow is the last day of early voting. Um, so voters have been going to the polls. I haven't seen the latest numbers yet of how many have shown up, uh, but poll polls have been open if people wanted to get it out of the way so what have you been hearing is there any buzz any excitement on the on the part of uh, people who are going to likely vote in the democratic primary any in indication that they have uh, more than normal less than normal voter enthusiasm or voter interest in this primary well they're definitely the, the state party has been trying to gin up as much interest in this as possible they want a high turnout number for a couple of reasons one it would be part of that argument hey we could get people to show up in a not really competitive uh, election, even though Dean Phillips and Marianne Williamson are on the <laughs> ballot. And Dean Phillips had made a swing through the state, and it was nice to see him. But when he spoke at the uh, Democratic dinner, not too many people were paying attention to him. <laughs> Bless his heart. For attention. Yeah. It, it was kind of a funny moment when he literally asked for two minutes of attention but wow. um, they've been doing this you know, statewide tour done by the state party to try to get people to show up, and we're going to see how well it works out. Bob? Yes, yeah, Scott mentioned the importance of kind of turnout and enthusiasm, and I just wonder, uh, particularly what Joe's thinks, since he's out on the trail more than I am, that is, is there any enthusiasm? Because looking at it from a distance, there's very little talk that I'm hearing about it. There's obviously no mass media kind of participation in this. There's no ads running. Uh, and a lot of people don't even know that the Democratic primary is on uh, is on Saturday. I have to confess so until yesterday, I, just, I didn't either. <laughs> so I just I just wonder about obviously the party is going to try to get a turnout for all the reasons that Joe mentioned. But I'd be very surprised if there's a there's a significant turnout on Saturday. And yet. Uh, President Biden recently paid a visit to South Carolina to drum up support and enthusiasm to remind voters what he stands for and what he has allegedly done for them. But he also made a point of acknowledging the state's importance to him. I wouldn't be here without the Democratic voters of South Carolina, and that's a fact. You're the reason Donald Trump is a loser. And you're the reason we're going to win and beat him again. So, Joseph, what came of that visit? Uh, it was a visit that had a lot of um, <clears throat> focus on black voters. Um, besides the dinner, uh, he stopped at a, at a barbershop 
uh, in downtown Columbia. Then he went to a black church on the following day. Then went to actually went to a couple of black churches on on the following day. Um, it, it's been part of their outreach to black voters in the state. They're trying to there's a polling that shows that support among black voters around the country ha, have, has been falling. So they've been focusing their their outreach here in South Carolina on black voters. Scott. And, you know, the party chairs, uh, at least the ones that I can can follow, which is not many, uh, have been encouraging Democrats to turn out, to show enthusiasm for this primary. And, you know, as, as Joe touched on, it's there's just not a ton of enthusiasm going on. And people are being asked, oh, well, what about so-called strategic voting? And as Dr. Oldendick can, can testify, this is always talked about. It rarely actually happens, the strategic uh, voting in another primary. But a lot of the folks who have been asked about it have actually said, oh, they didn't even know they could vote in the Republican yeah. primary if they hadn't voted in the Democratic yes, I, I primary. Want to talk, I want to talk about that a little later on because it's going to require more time than we have right now because I, I had forgotten, having lived in South Carolina for a while, that you can vote in either primary. It doesn't matter. You just have to pick one. Uh, there are 55 Democratic delegates up for grabs in the South Carolina primary, three candidates on the ballot. Of course, the president's there, but U.S. Representative Dean Phillips, as you just mentioned, from Minnesota is running. And once again, author Marianne Williamson is running, I guess to make a point, I'm not sure. She received about 4% of the vote in New Hampshire. Phillips got 20% in New Hampshire. That seems high for someone running against an incumbent. So when we come back, I wanna ask our two political scientists, is it and what does it portend? We'll come back with more about that and the South Carolina Democratic and Republican primaries. The Republican primary is coming up at the end of February. It's Charlotte Talks on WFAE. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte. Using Mazda's customer-centric approach to cars to create a car buying and servicing experience where the customer is the center of their business. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com. It's Charlotte Talks on Listener Funded 90.7 WFAE and WFAE.org. I'm Mike Collins. We're talking about the South Carolina primaries. The Democratic primary is this Saturday in South Carolina. The Republican primary is February 24th. We're joined by Scott Hoffman. Huffman, uh, director of, of the Center for Public Opinion and Policy Research and a professor of political science at Winthrop University. Dr. Bob Oldendick is professor of political science at USC. That's the University of South Carolina. And uh, Joseph Bustos is a politics and state government reporter for the state. So I mentioned these figures that Marianne Williamson, running in South Carolina on the Democratic ticket, also ran in New Hampshire. She got, I think, Four percent of the vote. The other candidate in both states, South Carolina and New Hampshire, is uh, uh, Dean Phillips. He got about twenty percent of the vote in New Hampshire. That seems high, Doctor Olden Dick, for a uh, for a, a, a person running against an incumbent. Is it? Well, we have to remember the situation, Mike, because remember because it was not an authorized primary. Uh, Joe Biden didn't file, so he wasn't on the ballot. So that all of his votes were write-in votes, and Given the effort that it takes to get a write-in, I think it's even more surprising that that Biden got so many votes as a as a write-in candidate. 
So when you go into the ballot, the only you know two candidates on the, I mean, there were other candidates, but uh, Williamson and Phillips got, you know, most of the votes, but uh, for the people that were on the ballot, but Biden got a tremendous number. So that I don't think it's, if it's surprising, it would be surprising to me that uh, Phillips didn't get more votes than that. Joseph, um, since the South Carolina primary, the Democratic primary, is the fir- it's the first time it started in South Carolina, largely because of what they did for Joe Biden in 2020, and that's largely due to the efforts of a highly respected South Carolina politician, Jim Clyburn. If there has been very little buzz, if there are a bunch of people who don't even know that the Democratic primary is on Saturday, if nobody's talking about this and turnout is likely to be low, what does that say? It says that there's just not much of it. All the attention is going to Republicans right now. I think that's what it says. Because it's a more it's a contested competitive primary on the Republican side, you're and they're the party out of the White House. There's a lot more interest in, on that side. I think that's what it, that's the thing, part of what it says. So there are about 3.3 million registered voters in mm-hmm. South Carolina, and you don't register by party in that state. For those of you who live in North Carolina and don't follow it, uh, and in the 2020, in 2020, the Democratic Party primary attracted 16 percent of registered voters. That's up from 13 percent in 2016. It's also an open primary, which means that anybody can vote in either primary. You just get to pick. You can only vote in one, but you get to pick whether you want to vote Republican or vote Democrat. Uh, Is there any chance, and this is the strategy that you referred to a minute ago, Dr. Huffman, uh, any chance that some Republicans who don't like Donald Trump and maybe aren't keen on Nikki Haley will cross over and vote in the Democratic primary? Uh, You mean Republicans voting in the Democratic primary? Yes, any Uh, chance at all. Well, I mean, in quantum physics, there's a chance that literally anything can happen. (laughs) Uh, The odds are low, and the odds that it will make a difference and somehow Joe Biden will lose are pretty much nil. Um, You know, as as Joe alluded to, yeah, it's going to be a low turnout thing. The, The concern is lack of enthusiasm. But no, Republicans are going to turn out in the Republican primary because it's contested and they're fired up um, about it. So, Dr. Olden Dick, let me let me flip the coin. Any chance that Democrats who uh, know that Joe Biden's a shoe in, that he doesn't need the help, will cross over and vote in the Republican primary either for Nikki Haley so that Donald Trump doesn't get it or for Donald Trump because he has the best chance of losing perhaps to biden in their minds well i think there's slightly more of a chance for democrats to uh, move over and vote in the republican primary but i think that that chance is also very small and also will not make a difference because again think of the process turnout is low in primary elections so it's it's and to get people to vote and then to strategically go and vote that day in the other primary, thinking that their vote might make a difference. It is, as Scott mentioned earlier, all the research that we've done this to show that uh, people talk about it, it sounds like, wow, that could be some way to mess up the other party. But in reality, there's very little evidence that that occurs. So in the 2020 South Carolina primary, Democratic primary, uh, Biden carried all 46 counties in the state. 
uh, and was particularly strong in the PD and the Waccamaw River Valley areas, as well as the Midlands, Columbia. He, he received about 54% of the vote. 64% of that support came from black voters as com- compared to 33% from white voters. Scott, something similar this time, or would it be the numbers be much lower? Well, the, the total numbers will be lower. The percentages uh, will probably be something similar. Again, there's just not a lot of enthusiasm for turning out. What Biden's going to have to focus on is, uh, you know, after the primaries. The problem that the South Carolina primary presents for the Joe Biden team is if turnout is incredibly low, and it probably will be, does that show a lack of enthusiasm among black voters, which he absolutely needs as a coal, a winning coalition in November? Does it? So he's got, yes. Uh, if he, if the African-American voters do not turn out and help his coalition in states like, uh, especially Georgia, but while North Carolina is red at the moment, it could push purple, but it's going to take a lot of the incoming liberal whites into the uh, research triangle area and the shrinking African-American uh, uh, number there. Again, Hispanics are beginning to outnumber African-Americans. So black voters in key states breaking up the South for Democrats is key and showing a lack of enthusiasm is walking on a knife's edge. Hmm. Joseph, I know this may be a stupid question, given the scarlet nature of South Carolina voters, but Biden has been out touting his achievements and future plans to help the middle class and warning about the threat to democracy posed by Donald Trump. Trump, on the other hand, has uh, mostly run a campaign of grievance, uh, claiming to be the victim of political witch hunts, though he has said he'd like to be a dictator on day one. He's advocated extremist immigration policies, talked about prosecuting, even imprisoning political foes, executing Mark Milley. Which approach (laughs) holds more sway with South Carolina voters? Goodness (laughs) Oh, <laughs> uh, boy, so easy when I made it. Uh, I mean, it depends. South Carolina is a ruby red state. Um, we see a lot of Trump signs out there. Uh, I talked to state lawmakers in their, their districts. They see a lot of Trump signs in their districts. Trump is very popular here. He's very uh, he's got a lot of support. So they may be swayed more by by Trump's arguments. Uh, I on the trail over the past year, you talk to people who are still thinking about who they're going to vote for before the, the field narrowed. And I, I remember one voter uh, telling me he was undecided, but eventually went back to Trump. And one of the things he said to me was like, all those criminal indictments, I think it's wrong. I think it's uh, just persecution against Trump. And I think we need to put Trump back in the White House. So you're that's one voter. It's But you have to remember, Trump is very popular in South Carolina. So his arguments may sway uh, more voters here. So let's talk about the Republican primary, which happens, as I said, on February 24th in South Carolina. The South Carolina Republican primary has the most national interest because it is the contest between Trump and the former governor there, Nikki Haley. The primary, uh, well, we already said it's on the 24th of February. Trump won the New Hampshire primary with 54.4 percent 
of the vote to Nikki Haley's 43.2%. It's a decent win on the surface, and a lot of pundits have said, oh, landslide. But should they feel that way, Dr. Olden, given the fact that he's the incumbent, he's essentially an incumbent president running on a Republican in a Republican primary, is that really a good showing, getting just over half the vote? I would agree with the people that say that this is a, an important victory for him. Uh, because New Hampshire, if you look at the, the landscape, was really the state where Haley had the best chance. Again, it's an open primary so that you can you know, vote for in either primary. So there was a lot of pos- possibility for independent voters in that state uh, to vote for her. Uh, New Hampshire tends to be uh, <clears throat> more liberal than uh, the typical Trump base of support. So that 11-point victory, I'm sure you know, both... Nikki would have liked to be, been closer. Trump would have liked to have a bigger margin. But in terms of the expectations and what we say, uh, did this really damage Trump in any way? Uh, I don't think so. It was a, a, a large enough victory uh, that it, it gave her hope to continue on through South Carolina and Super Tuesday, as she's mentioned. But I, I don't think it changed the, the dimensions of the race in any way. And, of course, Donald Trump and others in the Republican Party suggest that Nikki Haley should have dropped out after uh, New Hampshire. But she uh, is determined. She seems determined to continue on in this race. And she had this to say about South Carolina voters recently on Fox News. South Carolinians are smart. They're tough. They expect you to do your homework and they expect you to do it. But I've won there twice. I know what it takes to do that and we'll do it again. Now, she's vowed to stay in this race till, or, till, or through Super Tuesday, which is right after the South Carolina primary. Is she likely to do that, Bob, if she loses badly in South Carolina? Um, I think that she will stay through Super Tuesday. I think that she's got uh, enough funding uh, that she's put it out there. Uh, that she's she's determined to stay through this race. She's kind of hanging on this hope that maybe there'll be some event, a you know, a, a conviction or or something that may change the nature of the race. There's a you know that uh, that last ditch kind of effort to see if anything uh, will change the dynamic, so that she's positioned herself in a way that she can t- continue through. Now, if she gets you know beat very very badly, and I'm talking you know 75 percent to 25 percent, then maybe. Uh, if you can't do better than that in your home state, well, she's still you know, pretty popular even among Republicans. The question is, in that pecking order, is Donald Trump m- have a more loyal base and more likely to get his uh, followers to turn out? Well, you just threw out a, 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 a landslide victory for Trump would be 75 to 25 for Nikki Haley. And yesterday, Scott, according to 538, Trump was leading Haley in South Carolina by slightly more than 34 points. They pegged it at 65.8 percent to 31.5 percent for Haley. You're, you're a pollster. Uh, can we expect that number to track closely to the primary mm-hmm. election result, do you think? Well, in in our last poll in uh, November, uh, Trump was ahead by 26, 20 odd points. Um, I expect that trend to continue. We are literally going in the field next week. Uh, so we will have a poll out by, uh, well, it'll be uh, a Valentine's gift to somebody because that'll be uh, probably when we release. Monmouth just put out a poll with Trump at 58, Haley at 32. So, you know, again, 
Uh, it's overwhelming. It's not as brow-beating as a 75-25. Uh, and, you know, and she continues to, you know, underperform Trump in a lot of key areas. She's slightly better with women, but not by enough. Trump is uh, was slightly better with evangelicals, with um, others dropping out. He's getting even better with evangelicals. So these are core things. But here's the thing. Let, let me back up a little bit, back to 2016, and then come forward. In 2016, Trump only won by uh, 10 points. It was Trump 32.51, Rubio 22.48, Cruz 22.33. There were 2.9 million registered voters 90, uh, uh, who participated in the Republican primary, 737,000, 98% were white. 48.9% were male, 51% were female. Women, Republicans are going to turn out, but they're only a couple of points better for Nikki Haley. So what is Nikki Haley's strategy? Let's look at two streams. One stream says she should get out because in 2028, the average Iowa caucus goer won't understand the nuance of how, and my polls and all polls show this is true, people, voters love Nikki Haley in South Carolina. They just want Donald Trump to be president. But the Iowa caucus goer in 2028 won't recognize that nuance. But here's the flip side. If Donald Trump gets the nomination, which it looks like he will, and he goes on to lose then Nikki Haley and only Nikki Haley will be able to say, I had the backbone to stay in and fight for what I thought could beat Joe Biden. So there are a lot of strategic considerations there. Well, I was going to ask uh, how popular Nikki Haley was when she was governor, how popular she continues to be. And Bob Scott just said voters in South Carolina like Nikki Haley, but they love Donald Trump. However, given the fact that if he wins and if he decides not to, to, to step down after four years, which is questionable given his track record, uh, would it not be in South Carolinians' best interest to vote overwhelmingly for Nikki Haley this time so that she can counter what Scott just said in 2028? I won my home state. Probably, but I don't know if they'll take that argument. <laughs> they, I mean, Haley's been making the argument that she performs best against Biden uh, in a general election, but she still hasn't won a primary, uh, a nominating contest, and she's behind here in South Carolina. Uh, that Washington Post Monmouth poll also, uh, what I found interesting was the favorability numbers in there. Uh, I think Trump was at 66% and Haley was at 45%. And I think that's yeah. just a, uh, that's just a, uh, a product of uh, of just all the attacks being thrown at at, at Haley uh, over her record, but uh, so, in, in one of Scott's polls uh, in November, they both were in the seventies. So, so the, New York, the New York Times published an article this week puzzling over why Nikki Haley has quote so few friends in South Carolina. They write quote the stories pile up one after another of thanks not offered, allies antagonized, opponents not forgiven, a portrait of a politician who climbed the ladder with speed and skill but failed to ensure that the people who helped her would have her back if she needed them. 
Dr. Olden, Dick, is that an accurate portrayal of uh, the former governor? Well, I think that, she, again, she's still popular. and But it's just a matter of the dominance of Trump. That, you know, you look at the people that I think that article is referring to, people like, you know, Governor McMaster and uh, Tim <clears throat> Scott and people that, given the relationship that uh, Haley has had with them over the years, you would think would be her allies. And I think if Donald Trump weren't there, they would be. Uh, but the fact that he has dominated the party means that, you know, she doesn't have that room to get in. We're going to come back and talk about those allies, or maybe not allies, <laughs> in a moment in Charlotte Talks on WFAE. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, incorporating Mazda's customer-centric vehicle design by making the customer the center of business to create a better car buying experience. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com. It's Charlotte Talks on WFAE and WFHE. I'm Mike Collins. We're here with Dr. Scott Huffman from Winthrop University, Dr. Bob Oldendick from the University of South Carolina, both political scientists, and Joseph Bustos, who is a politics and state government reporter for the state newspaper in Columbia. Following New Hampshire, Donald Trump received the endorsements of South Carolina Senator Tim Scott and a former presidential candidate himself, South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster, through his support to Trump, as did South Carolina Congresswoman Nancy Mace. Haley gave Scott his seat, essentially, in the United States Senate. Joseph, can you explain this move on his part? I mean, he kind of turned his back on her. It's. I think that's just more of Tim Scott maybe seeing the writing on the wall and it's the party rallying around the the former president i think that's part of where that's going um it also may be him trying to make sure he's inside the the vice presidential stakes because if nikki haley is the nominee uh tim scott won't be able to be a vp nominee so that that those are probably part of the, the calculus that that tim scott is uh is uh, uh considering are there any prominent south carolina politicians who support Nikki Haley over Trump and beyond so the, the blind beyond the blind fealty to the fearless leader that we've witnessed among most Republicans what do you see as the reason for this so the only i guess the most prominent the highest ranking republican that's endorsed um Nikki Haley so far is been Ralph Norman from the Rock Hill area mm -hmm. um I was surprised when Jeff Duncan, the uh, upstate congressman, decided to endorse. He told me he planned not to endorse before the primary, and he went and endorsed Trump. Nancy Mace obviously endorsed Trump. Um, and then lots of lawmakers are starting to rally around the former president as well. Scott, you live in the Rock Hill area. Does it surprise you that Ralph Norman uh, went for uh, Haley over no, Trump? No, it doesn't, but I believe uh, Dr. Oldendick had something to add okay. first. No, I'm going to... Oh, okay. Well, no, absolutely not. Uh, Ralph Norman has been very strongly behind Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley, um, okay, let's back up with Henry McMaster. Henry McMaster has longed his entire life to be governor of South Carolina. He was the first to line up behind Donald Trump. And the way to make uh, Henry McMaster governor of South Carolina was to nominate Nikki Haley to UN, to the ambassador to the UN and elevate then Lieutenant Governor Henry McMaster. So of course he's gonna line up. Um, Nikki Haley never played that nice with the legislature when she was 
in the legislature, much less as governor. Uh, you know, there were some ethical issues about her receiving, I think it was up to $100,000 from a, a, a medical center in the Greenville area. She went to the House Ethics Committee, and from what us outsiders can determine, it basically came down to, you want to do this about me? I'll bring out every dollar you've ever made. And suddenly it all went away. Uh, you know, now certainly there was never the veto fights that there were with Mark. I love the Appalachian trail Sanford. Um, but she did in fact, uh, get in some veto fights with the legislature. So the fealty of the legislature, the elected officials, uh, is not the same as the support from rank-and-file Republicans in South Carolina who do seem to love her. Um, she has annoyed a lot of elected officials over the years. She holds that as a badge of honor, but right now they are <laughs> lining up for her opponent, Donald Trump. So and, every... and if I could jump in there, Go I want ahead. to add, like, you sometimes hear a lot about this in the hallways of the state house people will remember their time with nikki haley uh so every once in a while you hear like yeah it was rough when haley was here and wow. that so that's what you sometimes will well, come up that says a lot uh every republican who was running and who dropped out of the race has thrown their support to Donald Trump, except for one or two. I think I think it's, I think the count is two. Chris Christie among them. Uh, which way, Bob, will Nikki Haley go? Should she eventually drop out? And, and is she hoping for? Would she accept being Trump's vice president if she drops out? Uh, I think that she stated during the campaign that she was going to support whoever the nominee was, and I think. There's no reason for her not to do that. Once, if you know, Trump becomes a nominee, uh, it looks like you know she's trying to get vindictive or something, and it doesn't help her political career not to endorse him. But I don't think she'd accept the vice presidential nomination. That there's a, a, enough bad blood, enough differences that have been between the two that have been pointed out during the course of this campaign, um, the way that it's going in South Carolina, that she's continuing to throw barbs at him saying, why don't you debate me? Just trying to uh, really you know, make kind of a last stand here to, to do well in South Carolina, that given what we know about uh, ex-President Trump, that it's unlikely that he would pick her. And I don't think that she'd accept if, if asked. It's actually been, uh, to my way of thinking, breathtaking to witness uh, the Republicans who have criticized Trump uh, following January 6th, changing their tune and now throwing all of their support behind him. South Carolina's Nancy Mace was highly critical of Trump in the past, said she held him accountable for what happened on January 6th, and now she's changed her tune, and she, positioned it, she, she positions it this way when she spoke to Fox News. Nikki Haley uh, was a great governor for South Carolina. She's run a great race. And look, when she jumped in, I told everyone, I told the people not to underestimate her. And she's the last opponent standing today. But I also have an obligation to listen to my voters in my district, to listen to the state of South Carolina. And they're saying what? Overwhelmingly, they are with Donald Trump. 
So I know that people switch positions all the time. We used to criticize people for, uh, for that uh, as politicians, call them flip-floppers, but we don't do that anymore. And, and uh, she's not alone in uh, flipping her position on Donald Trump. But why isn't this tarnishing at least some of these folks, Bob, with the uh, brush of hypocrisy? Well, a theme that we've been talking about for the past 15 minutes has been the dominance of Donald Trump that if you express loyalty with him and you come around and maybe you did criticize him, but now you are kind of stepping in line, that you know, it doesn't seem to be da- damaging to you politically. That would be uh, you know, a taking the opposite position and continue to be critical is going to be worse for your career than to say, okay, I, you know, things have changed. I'm listening to my voters. I'm listening to my constituents so that there is rationalizations, explanations on the part of people that are changing their position. But the fact of the matter is that it is the the dominance of Trump and the fear of being primaried, being, you know, losing an election if you are not supporting him. Well, if you watch the Republican presidential debates, except for uh, Chris Christie, everybody else seemed like they were walking on a high wire over a bed of nails, uh, hoping not to fall off and impale themselves on those nails. But recently, Nikki Haley has taken a, a sharper approach to Donald Trump, like what she said recently, once again, on Fox News. I was proud to serve America in his administration. I agree with a lot of his policies. He was good at breaking things. You gotta be good at fixing things too. This is a time we've gotta fix America. That's what we're focused on. And rightly or wrongly, chaos follows him. Joseph, from what you've known in talking to people in in reporting for the state on politics in South Carolina, is a comment like that gonna resonate with South Carolina among Republican voters or Democratic voters? Does anybody share those misgivings? I, I I don't know if it will. Uh, I, my, my guess is that those are probably uh, uh, overtures to independent voters, probably, who, all, of course, can vote in the Republican primary if they choose to. Whether there's enough to sway the results in her favor is a whole other question and probably doubtful. And is that a winning strategy, Scott, uh, to, to suddenly begin to say he's old, he fumbles, this is a race between two 80 years old, he's not as mentally acute as he used to be, I like his policies, but he's chaotic. Is that a winning strategy among Republican voters in South Carolina? Uh, in, in the normal history timeline, yes. In the, the history timeline that we now exist, which I will call the Trump history timeline. No, uh, it is absolutely not. Fealty to Trump has become the default test of whether or not you're a true Republican. Um, One of the things that has amazed me most is the national media painting Nikki Haley as a moderate uh, when she governed in South Carolina in no way as a modern we can talk about the confederate flag but she went to the sons of confederate veterans and said i, I love the confederate flag it's all for it until the other annual massacre when she wanted to bring it down but all of her other policies were extremely conservative so this idea that oh they're not mentally you know don't have the mental acuity no is irrelevant it is about fealty to the head of the party Donald Trump is the head of the party. If he gets it and loses to uh, Joe Biden in 2024, 
This positions her as the last person standing trying to have made that argument in 2024 and positions her well to have a, a, a starting block in 2028. Well, earlier in this election cycle, around the time of the New Hampshire primary, one hypothetical contest indicated that Nikki Haley would beat Joe Biden 51 to 34 percent. Bob, should that be playing in the minds of Republican voters in the upcoming primary in South Carolina? It should be, but it won't be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because the, you know, uh, because the, the Trump supporters, again, they truly believe that uh, whatever happened in 2020, whether the election was stolen or not, that Trump is a viable candidate and, and that he will win, that they've cleaned up some of the things that happened in 2020, that they're positioned themselves with the changes that have taken place in some of the election laws in the state, uh, that you know, that Donald Trump is the candidate that will beat Joe Biden and I'm sure that they think Biden is weak enough that other candidates could beat him as well, but Trump will win. Joseph, I think you mentioned these uh, court cases that are pending in, in Donald Trump's life and that they don't seem to make much of a difference to Republican voters in South Carolina because they think it's all, and this is no pun intended, they're trumped up charges. But he was just convicted of sexual assault. He went through two trials, fined $5 million for defamation of character in the first. He continued to do it. Now he's been fined $83 million for defamation of character against E. Jean Carroll. That's a fact. Does that not count at all, particularly among evangelical voters in South Carolina? This man is a rapist. I, I mean, I, I don't know if he was convicted. I think he was found liable for, for rape. I think that may have been the actual technical term. That Civilly liable. Civilly liable. What's uh, the difference? <laughs> One has jail time. One has a, one. a, a has a financial penalty. Apparently, so a financial ruling. Um, it hasn't. It just hasn't. We always think something's going to change, but it doesn't. Scott. Uh, well, as far as evangelicals are concerned, I have made this argument back when Donald Trump was first nominated, and people didn't pay a lot of attention to it. And I think they're paying more attention to it now, especially with the Christian nationalism movement. Um, evangelicals, people who read the Bible literally, especially, see God choosing very flawed people to lead the nation to a godly thing. Remember, you know, David had the husband of his mistress murdered. Now, you know, that's a little more than grabbing them by certain areas. But that's why but, the new that's why the New Testament supersedes the Old Testament in most Christians. It doesn't matter. Lives. They're you know, they're they're all together, and I I we can debate that because I teach religion and politics as well. But the reason evangelicals can get behind them is there are many examples in the Bible of God quote unquote using very flawed people. Now I don't know this flawed, but there are examples, and they will look past it, and they have. So the Republican National Committee backed away from suggesting that the primaries be shut down and everybody simply throw their support to Donald Trump. That didn't go over very well for the states involved in having primaries. But Ronna McDaniel, who is the embattled chairwoman of the RNC, still says that she does not see a path forward for Nikki Haley and that we need to unite around our eventual nominee, which is going to be Donald Trump. That's a quote. Haley seems to think, however, 
otherwise, or at least she's giving that impression to people. She continues to raise money. She's about to spend $4 million on television advertising in the state of South Carolina. I think it began yesterday or today. There could be, as you pointed out, uh, Scott, a health issue coming up or a misstep or something could go wrong in one of these trials that could cripple Donald Trump's chances. Who is right here about Haley staying in the race, Haley or Ronna McDaniel? Scott. Are you asking me? Yes. Uh, well, for, you know, first off, let's point out that you're using her name, Ronna McDaniel, uh, which is the Trump-approved name that she should use, as opposed to, uh, you know, being related to Mitt Romney. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the answer, of course, is for Nikki Haley to hang in as long as possible, but then... When she folds out, say the most important thing is beating Joe Biden, and I am behind Donald Trump to do that, that sets her up best for 2028. I have less than a minute left. Given the realities of what's happening on the Democratic side with the incumbent president running again, that negates any need for Democratic primaries, it seems to me. And if, if Nikki Haley loses to Donald Trump in South Carolina, it really negates the need for Super Tuesday going forward. But why don't we, Robert, have a national primary where everybody runs, we all vote on the same day, we choose the nominees, and we move on to the general election? Why don't we do it that way in 15 seconds? Because of the expense involved, that uh, candidates that don't have the money to do a national campaign don't get the chance to get exposure. There's no opportunity for anybody with the most money uh, to win a national primary. Okay. I'll let you have the right, the, the last word because this was your first time on the program. Dr. Bob Oldendick, uh, Professor of Political Science at the University of South Carolina. Dr. Scott Huffman, Director of uh, the Center for Public Policy, Public Opinion and Policy Research at Winthrop University, and Joseph Bustos, politics and government reporter for the state newspaper in Columbia. Thanks all for the hour. Celebrating 25 years on the air, Charlotte Talks with Mike Collins is a production of 90.7 WFAE. Support for Charlotte Talks comes from Mazda of South Charlotte. Our executive producer is Wendy Herkey. The senior producers are Gabe Altieri and Sarah D'Elia. Our engineer is Joby Sprinkle. For more information about Charlotte Talks, to listen to past episodes, or subscribe to the podcast, visit wfae.org slash charlottetalks. Additional support for WFAE programming comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, focused on applying Mazda's customer-centric approach for vehicle design to car buying and servicing in order to create an experience centered around the customer. More at mazdaofsouthcharlotte.com.